Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six of the How We See Things podcast. It's this my next, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host Dan Stark. Um, yeah, yeah. So things have happened. Things have been happening. First off, we want to say thank you to everyone for the great reception we got, like from the last episode. Um, this is something that has been on top of everyone's mind. And we felt like we should just, you know, kind of continue the conversation, I guess, and expand on it, you know, kind of kind of like look at the implications, like, you know, given how much time has passed between our last conversation and now and just some other angles that, you know, we would like to consider. Um, so yeah. basically, yeah, basically, the theme here is that, you know, we're in a new phase of history, you know, and you can go around telling people, welcome to history. Um 2022 and and the war in ukraine is kind of like you know the crescendo i guess like of of like a sequence of of events you mm -hmm. know starting with like 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 starting with you know um brexit trump's election things have just kind of seemed like unstable like in the world for a while now yeah um you know and, uh, yeah and then there was like covid which affected everyone globally and yeah. now that there's a war in Ukraine. So where where we're at right now is that it's still definitely ongoing. Um, there have been a number of talks or attempted talks between um, Russia and Ukraine. First, yeah. like, you know, in the meeting that was had on the Belarus and Ukrainian border, and then through intermediaries. So I know like Israel and the prime minister of Israel has been ask, acting as some kind of like intermediary between um, Russia and Ukraine. Um, yeah. I think France's president as well, Emmanuel Macron, has been um, acting as some kind of like a mystery of sorts. The Ukrainian president Zelensky is, you know, still making demands of Europe and the West at large. Yeah, I think, you know, just to kind of frame the discussion, um, to, some quick fire facts. Um, of the ongoing conflict, I think the latest count is that um, the, the the largest loss of life, though, to say, that five people killed after a Ukrainian base for NATO drills was hit by strikes. Um, the Pope has spoken to Putin or told Putin actually um, to stop the massacre, quote and unquote, in the name of God. I ask you, stop this massacre. Um, Putin's potential use of nuclear weapons is a huge concern for the UK government. Michael Gove, um, a cabinet minister, has said um, Ukraine is working, like Statesman's Next said, with Israel and Turkey as mediators for peace in talks with Russia. Um, rather counterintuitively, Russia installs new mayor in the Ukrainian city of Melitopol and um, Sadly, an award-winning American filmmaker was killed in Ukraine within the last 48 hours. So just a signpost there of kind of this wide-ranging, fast-moving series of events. And just to take it back to what you were saying, Statesman X, I think um, where we're at now is obviously the Ukrainian government continues to push through Prime Minister Zelensky for in external intervention, essentially. And you made a comment about... Um, or maybe you're angling towards the fly zone requests. Now, we both know that's a catalyst for <laughs> World War Three mm, because mm. once there's a fly zone, um, Russia's already started making noises about 
you know, the US's involvement, I believe it was about 200 million further assistance in military aid that Congress signed, signed off this week. So um, US is already getting involved, you know, a lot more. Um, but a fly zone would actually mean that NATO forces would have to police the air. The, the yeah. air. And what happens when a Russian um, aircraft is in combat with a, a NATO force? And, you know, ultimately, where there's combat, there's downed air forces. And, um, you know, the, the, that would be the point of no return, wouldn't it? Because that would necessitate foot soldiers. No, like I mean, I mean the I think the idea behind the idea behind the no-fly zone is that like it would exist as a kind of tripwire, um, essentially like a trap, kind of like a bait for um, for Russia. So if if the, the issue is that like if the U.S. does it, the U.S. must be willing to back up, you know, this this tripwire with the action that comes when somebody does step on the tripwire. So mm-hmm. the idea behind the tripwire is that like you know you're calling your opponent's bluff. Um, you're saying, okay, my, my opponents wouldn't be willing to shoot me. Um, mm-hmm. So like a, a couple of examples of tripwires have been discussed. One of them, you know, involved, for example, leaving um, U.S. embassy or U.S. diplomats in um, Ukraine mm-hmm. or, you know, actually like sending U.S. troops to help around with stuff. So the idea being that like Russia will not dare bomb a place where U.S. troops are because if they do wow. that, then the U.S. will be forced to respond. Um, and so I mean, strategically, US... we spoke about this though, like how far is Putin going to be pushed? Because these are all, and I think those are very good practical examples for anybody listening as to mm-hmm. how the U.S., like you say, use those tripwires. Um, but this we've said Putin strategically is in a lose lose situation. That's what we said. Then. No, like I, I, I think I think a good place to to kind of like you know start from in this like discussion of escalation would be what Putin and Russia like have actually yeah. asked for. Um, so the demands that they've put that like Ukraine yeah. has to consider. Yeah. Um, so basically, Russia has asked that like Ukraine first of all seize all military action. Um, amend its constitution to enshrine that it should be it should remain forever neutral, like in any conflict. <laughs> it has to it has to acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory, and recognize the separatist republics of Luhansk as independent states. They are also asking like that NATO like remove any troops or weapons like deployed to countries that like enter the alliance after um, 1997. That basically right. like includes yeah. That basically all the former like, Soviet countries. A lot of like this, you this know, is what we're talking countries. about. I think from a, from a tactical point of view, and I'll let you finish. I think we should mm-hmm. actually just run through each of those those points. And um, and I think last, if you if you haven't listened to episode five, please do listen because and we'll touch on some of them again. We raised a lot of these points, but yeah, continue. Yeah, and like, and then like, you know, Russia is also demanding that like NATO rules out like any further um, expansion, including like you know um, having Ukraine enter the alliance. So, so basically, people have just you know called this Russian request a a kind of request for Ukraine to surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the question now becomes, okay, what are people actually willing to do? Um, so like, there was a kind of like you know brouhaha of sorts, I guess, you know, involving um, some kind of 
fighter planes that Poland was asking the US to send over to Ukraine. Like the Polish government was like, we're willing to help you send like, you know, these planes over to Ukraine. But the US government, I think wisely, is hesitant um, because that would also you know mark a significant escalation. If planes are leaving US bases for the purposes of joining the fight, if American planes are leaving American army bases for the purpose of joining the fight in Ukraine against Russia, that is a significant escalation mm-hmm. um, of, of the conflict as far as everyone is concerned. Um, so so kind of like the issue now is like, what next? You know, the, the sanctions have stepped up and Putin is stepping up his own actions. So they are stepping up like the repressing of the dissents in Moscow and in Russia. So like basically, if you dare protest in any way shape or form you will be arrested um putin is also introducing his own counter propaganda so you see like internally in russia they have been encouraged not encouraged i I would say suggested you know strongly that they should wear this z you know symbol that is being brandished around as like a symbol of like russian um nationalism solidarity solidarity yeah yeah Yeah. so 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 narratives are, are beginning to harden you understand and and it's like okay what now like what more can anyone do because like the sanctions have come like russia has you know imposed limits on how much cash people can withdraw from their yeah. um, accounts how much us dollar like they can purchase um you know russia has basically declared that it would consider strongly seizing the assets of any foreign company that yeah, leaves nationalize that yeah and, and nationalize them that that leaves russia so people are like digging in and the the question is and like something people are saying because there there are kind of two major camps i guess in the, in this in this conflict there are the quote unquote realists mm-hmm. who who you know see a lot of merit to russia's claims of aggression we can see three camps they are the realist people who like you know um see a lot of 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 um legitimacy in russia's claims of aggressions and russia's rights to like its empire and all of that there are the idealists who would like to defend democracy even if it means like instituting a no-fly zone over like ukraine and potentially launching the world into world war three yeah. and there are people who i think are trying to find a happy medium and okay, part of that yeah and part of that means acknowledging acknowledging that like in the west we have to accept that like whatever solution we get it has to be a solution that putin that that, that feels like a win to putin yes. so under no circumstance whatever we're giving him under no circumstance can it be made to seem like he has lost um and, yeah. and we have to consider that i think just taking that point um i think that has to be kind of a good point for us to, to progress like We've we've had all this lack of progress. We've had these sets of um, um, lack of real progress. I mean, but mm-hmm. we've we've had these initial discussions. Putin has put out his his requirements, and just to go back to some of the points in that in that list that Russia has requested, we spoke about the need for a buffer and linking this to your question, your last question about what does Putin get? What what is the way out of this in terms of a compromise? He wants a buffer. Remember we said um, Donetsk and Luhansk to become a buffer between Ukraine and Russia. We spoke about Ukrainian neutrality and not seeking NATOism or uh, mm-hmm. even maybe they might even oppose them joining the EU. We don't yeah. know at this stage. Remember we also spoke about Crimea and access to the sea um, or control of, of actual 
strategic locations in, in, in the Black Sea. We spoke about that and Turkey. I don't know um, if you remember. And then another point as well is this constitutional point of um, controlling, just controlling Ukraine, basically, putting in a, you know, a government and a system that they can always tweak at any time. And then the final point was the, the Baltic states. We spoke about all these countries that have since joined NATO since 1997, um, mm -hmm. ironically, which are mainly the Baltic states. Yeah, Poland is Russia, Lithuania, Lithuania. And Russia wanting to basically rewind time and say mm -hmm. NATO, trying to push NATO back. And, 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 you know, we spoke about the encroachment um, over time that has happened. Um, so I think it's very interesting to see these things come up as the real actual strategic results that I think Russia is looking to get out of this conflict at this stage. Yeah, I mean, so so basically, like, we, we kind of established that Russia's demands are kind of maximalist. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you know, as you would expect in any type of negotiation, both parties first come with a maximalist position and then negotiate downwards from there into what they actually want or what they can reasonably accept. But everybody's impression so far is from Macron's conversation. So you see these pictures that I think Macron is using for his campaign. But like these pictures of him, of him looking very like, no, it's politics now. It's politics. So of him so. looking very reflective, you know, deep uh -huh. in thought after his conversation with um, with Putin, the Prime Minister of um, of is of Israel, like Bennett, had to come out to disavow, like you know. Um, a news report that came out and said saying that like he told Ukraine to accept um the demands of Russia. So everybody seems to understand that like what Russia is asking for is absurd, kind of and it's basically asking for Ukraine to surrender. Now we also heard that like you know um um a hospital was bombed. Yeah. You know, we're we're, we're hearing that like Russia is escalating like its attacks in you know, in civilian areas and like, you know, raising the stakes, they're taking slowly and slowly, Russia is taking over more and more of Ukrainian territory. Yeah. Um, the demands from Zelensky to the West are getting more and more, you know, um, um, dire. Like he needs help, he needs boots on the ground. The he message needs, is more desperate, you know. Actual uh, ammunition. And at this point, like at this point, it, it's, 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 it's looking like, okay, what next? So like the conversation now has moved to chemical weapons. Um, yeah, bio warfare, bio warfare, and you know, it was it was I wouldn't say discovered because this is something that everybody that was kind of out there, like if you were interested in bio weapons, you could have known as far back as ten years ago that mm -hmm. there were there was a bio lab in Ukraine that the yeah. US was working with the Ukrainian government. Now these are bio labs that were left over from um, Soviet era and in World War Two. So part of what happened in World War II, for people who don't know, is that many of these countries who were involved in like these conflicts explored all the possible avenues for warfare. Yeah, that's in that's included atomic warfare, included nuclear warfare, included biological warfare. You know, and yeah. then there's all these like you know stories and like you know um, conspiracy theories about like stuff in the occult. Countries considered whatever it is that they could possibly you know do. There were scientists that worked for. Um, Nazi for for the Nazi Germany that defected, you know, to the US and ended up taking prominent positions either in the US government. So like there was a lot. I mean, of the Manhattan like, Project is real. This this was, um, like Stacey Monex says, this was um, the US kind of took the brightest and the best Jewish, um, German, Jewish, Austrian, Jewish, Eastern European full stop scientists and gave them sanctuary, but was also trying to find a way to develop and use their knowledge to develop 
all forms of warfare. And I think mm -hmm. that even bled into the Cold War, right? Mm -hmm. So after World yeah. War II, that bled into the Cold War all the way to the fall of the Soviet Union in 91. And then that has kind of developed ever since in a modern way, quote unquote. And then, in modern ways. And, yeah. and you know, like like the the thing with like welcome to history, because like stuff like the Cold War, you know, growing up, we read about all that kind of stuff, we hear about it, but it seems like something in a distant time, uh -huh. you know, like 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 in a land far away, in a time long ago. Yeah. But, but like we, we fail to realize that like the world that we live in today has been shaped by you know those actions of the past and because of what happened in the soviet union and because of the role that the u.s is playing now russia is like russia and china are coming together are coming to like you know china gets for its own reasons uh, because oh. china has some questions to answer with the Wuhan labs and the spread of covid so they're trying to point you know the finger at the u.s and make the claim that like everyone is involved in chic secret like shady yeah, um, so it's like um, it's it's geopolitical whataboutism. It's yeah, you did this in you know to the US. They say look at Syria, look at Iraq. You know you did this there. Um, that's very much kind of been on that side of the world in terms of the Russia-China axis. That's very much been their moral argument. Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. You know you do have to look at the US and the Western nations, including the United Kingdom, and say, you know, what was your motivation in for going into Iraq? You know. What, what were your actions and what did you do in Syria, you know, yeah. and, and in leaving Afghanistan after, you know, a decade and a half, what, what did you achieve, you know, and what were your aims going in? And those are kind of, those are difficult questions. I think the, yeah, the we, ha we have to admit that, that the West yeah. has blind spots, like, you know, for sure. And the way, the way they often speak, like, you know, here in the West, you know, speak of Churchill, and you know they're great like you know uh, conflicts against good versus evil there, there's this sense you know here in the west that they are on the good side you and, know, and, and the other side of the world is on the bad yeah, side right? yeah and, and and when they when they do something it's liberation but when the exact same thing happens in another context it's invasion and yeah. we're, we're forced and we're forced like being children of the 21st or 22nd or 21st century, like being children of the internet age, being the most enlightened, most informed generation ever to exist, we're forced to reckon with like the possibility that like this world and you know the structures that like have been created for us are all are all questionable. And something I've been thinking a lot about, you know, it, it's like in, in this context, everybody everybody is sure and clear that Russia is a bad guy. You understand? Everybody seems to be so sure and so clear that Russia is a bad guy. But the exact same scenario in a different context, say in Palestine, you know, and and versus Israel, or in case of like Ireland and you know um, um, the British government, and or in case of like Black Americans in the U.S., like it, it's it's a different story entirely. And and kind of kind of kind of going back to like you know what. What, what is making this so terrifying? Because like precisely the moments where Ukraine needs the most support um, is, is when people are asking the most profound questions of, you know, why should we... Because the, the reason why this chemical biolabs thing is so critical and why it's so important for people to like, and why it's an issue now, is that like, it seems like, you know, Russia is making preparations to introduce chemical warfare into yeah. the situation and if yeah. they can if they can muddy the waters with enough like confusion mm -hmm. with enough like misinformation out there then yeah. because chemical weapons were used in syria putin is yeah. famous for using chemical weapons novichok 
or or the likes to kill dissidents, people who yeah, and, um, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to. I think you know, this is we've taken the conversation on um, in a rather smooth way, I think, and in a rather cogent fashion. Um, and I think as part of that discussion, we must contextualize things, and we must say the mo- the, the the major victims of this conflict are the civilians, the civilians of Ukraine who are unfortunately caught in this kind of military geopolitical cluster, just clusterfuck, really. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, they're shadowy powers because, you know, it's it's Putin who who is very, very, very callously, you know, killing thousands of people right now. That's what he's done. His actions, however he might seek to justify it, however his partners might seek to justify it, however those who support him in the UN might justify it, is leading to the deaths in the war theater of civilians, children, women, men of a sovereign nation. And that is just plainly wrong from an international law perspective. He's committing war crimes in Ukraine. Now, the Ukrainians who are defending themselves have a right to defend themselves. And what we are critically saying here is there is that truth there. But then when you look at the arming of Ukraine and and things like that, you also have to look at the motivations of those who are supporting that arming and who are giving them all these weapons. And as part of that discourse has to be had about the right-wing elements in Ukraine, because they form part of this resistance. We can only look back to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, right? And what they became, right? Mm. They were armed, they were trained. So I think the, the, the Western forces need to be very careful about just how you know, because you can't just give guns to anybody. Like, you know, who are they giving these J-Laws? Who are they giving these weapons of serious destruction to? Right? Some of, you know, the right to defend Ukraine is there, definitely, 100%. They're not the aggressors. They're defending themselves from an invading force. But I just hope that they are scrutinizing who they're giving these weapons to and that that doesn't blow back in the future. Because, like you rightly said, you know, if you look at it from the Soviet point of view, what happened in Cuba. And Cuba till today still Mm. suffers from even Mm. harboring the thought of hosting Russian missiles. The US came down on them like a ton of bricks to protect its southern border, right? The US was like, nope, 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 nope. We're not gonna have Russia, you know, Russian missiles basically hosted in Havana. Like that's not gonna happen. So you can just launch into Miami, launch into, Texas, the southern part of the US, you know, so you can understand sovereignty, you can understand militarily, strategically protecting yourself from a potential enemy. Um, however, that's like we always say, like, war is only it's only the innocents that get killed in war, unfortunately, that, you know, that suffer, not get killed, obviously, the soldiers suffer on both sides. Um, but the Ukrainian civilians, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, but- yeah, but but the question, but the question, you know, people have to kind of reckon with. Uh, what yeah. makes it such a difficult thing to reckon with is that like, no one wants to surrender to the aggressor. Like, no, no one wants to surrender to the person pointing a gun at your head. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, the the people who are claiming that, like, people who are saying that, like, you know, in order to avoid the bloodshed, you know, Ukraine just simply has to surrender. Like, why do we? Here in America, or what, gives, what, gives, anybody, what gives any commentary the right to tell a sovereign people how to 
you know, whether or not they should give up their sovereignty. Like no, nobody is saying nobody is saying they should give up their their their, their well, sovereignty. Nobody yeah, nobody, nobody is saying nobody is saying they're like oh like you know we have the right to tell you to not fight for your country. You can fight, you can fight, but like that 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 you lose the fight is not necessarily our business. Is what is what some people are saying, and they're like you know unless we're willing, which it is eventually going to come down to, um, because the truth of the matter is that like. You know, everybody's talking about how um, the the European countries have to um, increase their spending on uh, their military budget now. Um, you know, countries who were on on the fence about joining NATO have to reconsider now. Even the US is going to have to increase like their military spending. People are going to have to like form alliances and stand by them because like you know lines are being so clearly drawn. And there's there's like a, a PR battle, you know, like a misinformation battle going on. So like this this biolab thing now has has come in and kind of like flooded the waves, like with so everybody's like, you know, oh, there's like some secret thing going on here that we can't really figure out what is happening. And yeah. that is that is one of like the main goals of propaganda to yeah. kind of like confuse the the confuse like the body politic in it to to believe mm. that like um okay like I may not I may not necessarily believe that this one thing is true but that truth is undiscernible and there's no way we can find out actually find out like you know what's going to happen and and the things that like you know there's there are great powers like involved in this conflict there's russia who is economically like a small country yeah militarily a great power and in terms of strategically great power as well i mean i I want to take us i want us to take that take this to the next limb the next limb mm-hmm. of conversation which is um the new the, the new world order really the new great power competition um vis-a-vis also what's going to happen with the eu like you rightly say will there be more countries seeking to join is there there was rumblings i remember probably about 10 years ago um there was rumblings about an eu army and this was one of the biggest um concerns at the time that the uk had like you know they didn't want this homogenization of europe into but what war does is war makes you forms allies right it makes you feel like there's safety in numbers that and it's a natural feeling for a company of countries who have fiscal um union economic union political union to then say to themselves well why can't we form some sort of military union right yeah um because what Putin has shown them is that at any time, if it so pleases and suits Russian foreign um, interest, that you know any of those um, former Soviet states within his reach are easily, you know, as it, obtainable. Because, like we said, yeah. we invaded Ukraine in 2014. This is what a lot of people get wrong. They think, oh, he just invaded in um, 2022. No, he's been there since 2014, and. He tested the waters. What happened there? He even even far back to Georgia, sorry, before that, in 2010 or 2008, was it? Um, so will EU countries, my question to you is, what do you see the EU doing in terms of a military? Um, not discounting NATO, of course, but uh-huh. what do you see the future of the EU, re, EU army or other countries wanting to join? And then secondly, this new world order, um, do you see greater alliance between the pariah forces <laughs> countries in the world um you know the the melodramatic villains so you you know kind of Xi Jinping of china 
um, Vladimir Putin of Russia, and then um, the gentleman in Pyongyang, in North Korea, yeah. versus kind of, you know, US, UK, um, Germany, and France. Yes, yeah, starting starting with the EU, um, first of all, I think... And where do you see Africa fitting into that? Sorry, sorry. And yeah. where do you see Africa fitting into I think Africa is the biggest kind of unknown in the world right now, by the way. But yeah. Yeah. Starting with the with the EU, you know, aspect of it, I think this is the clearest example, like you know, of the foolishness of the Brexit movement, because not only not only you know was the result of of Brexit that's that's the vote to actually leave the European Union, not only was it an embarrassing you know outcome for the United Kingdom, but it has effectively like removed the UK from the kind of like position it should have in this type of situation. So in the conversation, it's been Macron, you know, who has been leading um, kind of like the discussions like in, in Europe, Macron and the German uh-huh. uh, um, chancellor as well. And, you know, they're, they're actually like, they're, they're so, so Germany has, sticking with Germany alone, in, in Europe, there are, there are some key players. Key players are Germany, France, the England, and Russia. Well, Russia isn't definitionally in the EU, but you know, in popular, is, like, well, popular knowledge, as far as people are concerned, Euro Asiatic plate. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a it's a European country. So um um Germany has its own history, you know, to reckon with. So Germany is kind of always like super hesitant to you know commit tell, tell anything. Yeah. Yeah, to tell other tell others off or you know to get involved like you know militarily or anything like that. There are a lot of all these like Nordic countries that just want just want to do their thing, you know, like Sweden and Finland. And they wish you like you guys would stop like all your fighting. They just want to like, you know, like look good and play football and and have like really nice cities and all that kind of stuff. Like they they, they don't really want to get involved. They have really strong currencies, really like, you know, um strong like democratic like socialists. Yeah. Yeah, so they're 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 okay. Um, you know, and, and then you have the UK who is like a shadow, like, you know, this great you know, old country that, that is a shadow of its former self, but, you know, is established enough to still be um, basically a, a great power. And the main consideration that, you know, the leaders of the EU have to have to have is, is Putin going to stop at Ukraine? Mm. Um, you know, it is to his desire to recreate like old Russia. Is it going to stop at Ukraine? I mean, just on that one, um, there, was a, there was a threat issued that um, obviously the, Allied forces, as we call them, from <laughs> the Western forces have been supplying all these ammunitions and stuff. And I saw that the Russian, um, somebody higher up in the Russian army said that those are legitimate Yeah, targets. those are targets too. And, th- and we're talking Poland. These these are in Poland. These are in, um, I believe, um, Slovakia as well. Um, so, you know, that's because what happens when Russia launches a strike on, a, yeah. on Polish soil, for example, targeting munitions. Yeah, no, no, we, we as, as humans, we decided a long time ago that, like, you know, you can't just shut yourself up in your house, whether your house, your actual house where you live in, or your metaphorical house, like, to signify your country, a group of people. You can't just lock yourself in there. You have to interact with the world. And in order to interact with the world, there needs to be a rules-based, like, order. And the second thing I was going to say was that, like, you know, popular supports internally and externally is important the world is watching how the west like reacts to the situation yeah so you know so if if you're rushing to defend you know um ukrainians from an invasion in russia 
would you be also willing to defend people in Kenya if they're being invaded by people in South Africa? Or, you know, if people in, like, Libya are being invaded by a neighboring country or I when mean, any other, like, yeah. when any other, like, invasion, like, is happening um, around the world? So, like, the, the, there's a legitimacy that, like, these guys have to worry about because, like, you know, in, in spreading the gospel of um, Western civilization and this, like, liberal order, part of it, you know, is is the, I guess, like, the the reality behind the theory that like, Hey, if, if you do cross us, we're, we're willing to put actions behind our lofty ideals. And we're, we're going to like, because we're, you know, um, advanced societies and we've developed our militaries, we're going to back you up. If you, if you, you know, are ever in trouble. So Ukraine is asking to be a part of like the EU, the EU has to decide, all right, are we willing to thumb, um, you know, our nose up um, to Russia um, basically and be like, all right, Ukraine, you, you can join us. Or are we going to leave the Ukrainians to their fate? And what does that mean if we leave the Ukrainians to their fate? Um, what happens if Russia decides to expand its territory to Estonia, you know, Lithuania and, and Latvia? That's a question that they've had to answer before with Hitler. And they learned that lesson the hard way. Um, you know, so the issue is that like they have to stop, they have to stop it now. And then there's the question of whether or not the US gets um involved, because like, you know, taking it, taking it out of like the European like um you know geography itself there is the u.s to one side and then there's china you know to the other side um the u.s got involved in world war ii because like you know once britain and some other key countries got involved it was like all right we have to you know defend our fellow like you know western people like here and the u.s is already telegraphing which some people like would say the u.s government for the u.s is telegraphing like explicitly now that under no circumstance Will U.S. soldiers like would U.S. boots be on the ground, like in Russia? So if people, a lot of people are asking like, why are you already taking that off the table? So that if, I cannot if, tell if you. If I can, if I can just you know slide yeah. in there, I think context is so 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 key. Um, so to your first point, just to rebut your rebuttal, um, I think the NATO factor is key, and I know we're going to talk about Africa. It's it's a substantial part of our our further conversation. And the people within it and people constituents of it and originated from it, Africans in Ukraine, have they been treated? And even we'll talk about refugees from countries like Syria and Afghanistan, comparing their treatment to Ukrainian refugees as well, because to me, that speaks to the power balance. And the truth is, Ukraine matters. That's another, that, that's just the bottom line. In world politics, to the Western powers, in the geopolitical struggle with Russia. You might say it's a pawn, but it's a strategically placed pawn because of where it is. So I think that's the different context to how, like you say, when you say if African... Yeah, like you're saying, if somebody invades Kenya, for example, I was just saying that's the difference. I think no, it's it's more than it's more than just in terms of its location strategically. So, like, there's a school of thought that believes that part of what Eric's putting so much about Ukraine is that, like, you know, Ukraine's existence as a democratic society mm-hmm. puts a lie to the type of society that yeah, it's, a, it's an affront. Yeah, yeah, it's an affront to to the type of like autocracy that exists in Russia. So, if Russians see an example of a successful democratic country in Ukraine, that to put in Jonathan is a signal that like in, in the long run. So one of these ideas must die. And you know, part part of part of Putin's critique and part of what you know has endeared Putin to lots of people around the world, lots of right-wing people around the world, is that he expresses an unabashed critique of modernism, 
or what some people would wrongly call like wokeness, you know, um, LGBT, LGBT. So like this, that, that crazy priest I was telling you about gave a speech basically about like how you know that like, you know, these countries are like under some weird ideology is that communist ideology or something like that is that they have LGBTQ parades. That any country that you see that is in, that's how you know that they are on, you know, a match to hellfire or something like that. So Putin has, Putin has these strong ideological ideas and what, what, what I was saying that it's a signal. So not just the US, but the European countries are looking around the world. If other dictators, if other countries are watching and they're seeing what is happening, we could be in for a period of just, you know, <laughs> uprisings, <laughs> uprisings, uh, uprisings around the world. So it's important for, you know, general stability. Um, and and think, thinking about like R- Russia has historically been a country that's kind of like a spoiler. You know, there, there there has been a kind of like a kind of like you know global order that was established after World War II, where mm-hmm. the U.S. where the U.S. became like an outsized hegemony in terms of power. Now Russia had to pick itself up from from the scraps. You know, um, Putin was in power for a while. Putin left power, then came back to power. Russia had to pick itself up from, up from the scraps, develop itself like militarily and pour out their like focus there. And you know, um, Putin spread his tentacles through his oligarchs into the economies of many um European countries and many countries globally. Yep, that's correct. Yep. China, China also developed itself. Um, so so now it's we're no longer in a world where the US can say jump and everybody will say how how high. I think it's yeah. connected and, and from the US point of view as well, you asked about this telegraphing of um, their non-intervention in Ukraine. And I think the context there is um, how many caskets have flown back from Afghanistan in the last 15 years? How many sons and daughters, American sons and daughters have died? And the Mm -hmm. appetite for war. And this is why when the withdrawal happened, it was roundly praised in the US in most quarters. Um, There was obviously, there will always be dissent, but most Americans were tired. And that's what happens when you spend billions and trillions of dollars in war and you get blood. And what do you get in Afghanistan? What, what happened? The Taliban took over um, Kabul, you know, got to Kabul within, what, took over the whole country in, in three weeks, you know? Yeah. So a lot of Americans right now- no, It's possible that like, sorry, sorry, question. It's possible that like part of the mistakes, like the US, I think, and the West, they're trying to learn a lot from, the mistakes of you know i think the past and everything so so a really smart analysis i heard was that like part of why us and nato is hesitant to get involved is that like the moment they do you know um sympathies globally might shift because if if it's a fight of big russia versus tiny ukraine everybody can clearly be on the ukraine side but the moment it becomes a fight between russia and us or Russia and NATO, then then it be, then it becomes complicated. Uh-huh. Then Putin can shore up support domestically because his fight is no longer against their fellow Russian-speaking, you uh-huh. know, look-alike people, Ukrainians. His fight is against the terrible big bad, um, big bad um, West. Yeah. yeah, big big bad West. And and you know the, the main thing is that like China has a very important role to play in this. Now, on one hand. China likes a stable international like order. China is just trying to be rich enough to tell everybody else to go fuck themselves, and you know to have like their tentacles also like in in every country or every part of the world globally that they can that, that they can effectively control 
you know international politics with however they want Russia doing this is bad for business yeah they're going for economic influence um, you're quite right and i think this is probably a good point to because if you look at the u.s as well u.s owes the largest proportion of its debts to china so like you say china wants the status quo with a little bit of change here and there is fine but mm-hmm. this kind of change like the maps of the world have been redrawn and like you say we're living in history so um i would like to see the you know the politics questions to, to students of politics and, and students of geography or students of history you know in, in five or ten years it will be a drastically different world but i think we've done a good um kind of as much as we can anyway on this episode i'm sure we'll touch it again and i want to talk about a more humanitarian level and um in the previous episode, we touched on different attitudes towards African um, uh, refugees of war in Ukraine and how um, through videos and evidence and audio and people who've got out who were able to escape through Poland and uh, Moldova and places like that, stories of how you know they were kept behind. We saw pictures of African students huddled at the border of Poland not allowed to to enter for long for days on the time, um, we saw what was quite stark um, treatment of of kind of Ukrainians versus um, those of African origin. I think the further development, unfortunately, this week, which has been quite interesting, is the way that Western countries have jumped so quickly, so efficiently to deal with a true humanitarian crisis. Like, wouldn't wish. Because keep in mind, most of these Ukrainians who are fleeing will be women and children and the elderly because there was a law for the 18 to 60-year-old men to stay behind and fight. So may, most Ukrainian men are in Ukraine fighting right now. So most of the refugees are the more um, uh, you know, vulnerable um, section of society. So they do deserve safe haven and no one's arguing with that. I think what we just need to discuss is the varying attitudes because not so long ago we saw Syrian refugees, you know, Afghanistan refugees, Afghani, sorry, refugees, um, black and brown people crossing from Africa, trying to get to places in Europe, such as France, the UK, especially. Um, We had a very sad incident where a whole boat of um, refugees capsized in the English Channel. And... The rhetoric here for a long time was essentially keep them out, you know, and dinghies crossing over every day and it was very negative. But it seems that we have a very positive, you know, welcoming, heartwarming approach towards Ukrainian refugees. I mean, some say it's as simple as their European neighbours, but Ukraine is very far from the UK because yeah. the argument we used to have with African... Or, I mean, quote unquote, or, European is also a very fluid thing. Exactly. Um the argument we used to have with African or Syrian refugees was like, oh, why don't they stop at the first country of Haven? Like, okay, when they get to the, the island of Lesbos in Greece, why don't they stop there? When they get to Cyprus, why don't they stop there? When they get to Malta, why don't they stop there? When they get to Spain, why don't they... Go, well, even when you get to France, why do you come to the UK, right? Neglecting that due to colonialism, a lot of these people have relations in the UK due to the fact mm-hmm. that the UK went out on globalised itself as an entity and was colonizing all over the place we all speak english most of us we have vestiges of um british rule so 
where you have family is where you're going to go. And we see this with Ukrainians even, you know, the, the first path that was opened was for Ukrainians who were settled in the UK to bring family. So I just think that, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on, on an empathetic level and, you know, what does this say about human capital and yeah. what does this say about the politics of the world against those who are from the global south? And I know our final point, just casting that forward, is, you know, Nigerians... We're both Nigerians, so we tend to, you know, always want to give a, a slice of the pie on our pod to talk about Nigeria. What's Nigeria's foreign policy condition, considerations? And just as a, to use them as an example for Africa, what should these countries be seeing in this country? Yeah. But yeah, I just want you to just tackle that. No, I mean, as I was listening to you talk, like, all I just kept thinking to myself is that, you know, you're describing white supremacy in action um in in a pure you know in one of its purest like distillation so basically what these people are saying is that there are some people some 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 blue-eyed blonde-haired you know brown-haired people um of paler caucasian skin who for whom this type of of war this type of situation is an aberration Uh because they are quote-unquote civilized people who cannot possibly be doing this and so the motivation of of russia and putin must be that they are evil they are out of the norm they are out of the bounds they are you know um because these are people like us mm-hmm. but but in africa and in the middle east and in other parts of the world those are less civilized less developed people to whom violence fighting and poverty comes naturally do you understand? And so it is not news or we shouldn't bat an eye when there is conflict going on there. And we should not welcome them to our shores lest they bring their uncivilized nature. Yeah, lest they bring their uncivilized nature you know, over here to us. It's so, an like, abhorrent message. It's an abhorrent message. It, 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 it is the message that that's... You know, and and when, I, when, I, when I tell people to reflect on this as like, welcome to history, we are, we are seeing in, in real time like history being made we're seeing the impact of history, do you understand, in, in itself, like, you know, taking place because these, these are the people, affirm, they are affirming essentially white supremacy. Yep. They are affirming the superiority of the group of people, you know, over another. So this group of people look like us. The description was like they were, they watched Netflix too and they, they, yeah, they, they drive cars and 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 if you if you've ever been to the country of nigeria there are more christians in nigeria than you will find in the whole of europe that is not an understatement so the idea that the 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 religion that they've chosen or the faith that they've chosen to follow is used as a, as a, an excuse or the fact that like you said about their quote unquote um europe close i i believe that the cape verde is probably closer to the uk than Ukraine is in terms of distance. You know, Ukraine is to the very far east of Europe. Um, not just so- not just distance. Like these countries have cultural differences that, that are like irreconcilable. But like the colonized countries, because of colonization, have entire <laughs> cultures, entire like systems that are exactly like the systems of their colonized countries. So in terms of assimilation, you're likely to have a better chance of assimilating a Nigerian or a Ghanaian into, you know, um, um, British customs and British behaviors than you are a Ukrainian into British customs or British yeah. behaviors. And the same goes for France and its colonies, you know, and, and, on, and so on and so forth. But white supremacy, white supremacy, 
white supremacy. I'm saying it again, third type of people who are not reflecting. It is not a boogeyman necessarily like in a, you know, white hood and, you know, a white clan's robe and a burning cross, even though that's one form of it. It's, mm-hmm. It also has like some more sinister, you know, some it's more insidious, yeah, some more yeah. sinister, some more insidious forms, which is basically in terms of the valuation of human life. So quite quite plainly, some some human lives are more valuable than others, and there is a limited attention span that everyone has. There's limited eyeballs. The people who control, when I say people, I don't mean like in a room, but like the people who control in your media landscape and what we see and what we are taught to sympathize with, and what we pay attention to. They would sympathize with the people who look like them, who they share a cultural affinity to, and who they assume for white supremacist reasons are beyond slash above this type of base violence. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's simply a shock to the system that they thought they were past this, they thought they were more than this. But it seems like you know, and then they they can welcome these Ukrainians into their societies because they don't think that the Ukrainians are going to one day wake up and bomb them or the Ukrainians are going to bring their dirty behaviors into their society. But when they look at Africans, or when they look at Middle Easterners, what they see are the racist stereotypes that exist. And kind of taking that into what your African countries do. I personally, I think, have a more conservative approach towards this. I think this is where I am most conservative. I I read a tweet or like a thread by, um, I think, the, the guy who does like the Republic. And it was all about like, you know, how people you, ca- you can't control somebody else's racism it was in response to somebody's tweet and it was all like how you can't control people's racism and that africans shouldn't stop blaming shouldn't should stop blaming themselves blah 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 but the simple the simple truth the simple honest truth is that one of the reasons why you can't fuck with israel as a country is because israel has you know state-of-the-art weapons and state-of-the-art like you know, um, economy, and they are, they are an advanced society. Plain and simple. The same goes for Japan. Same goes for Singapore. The same goes for South Korea. I mean, you Japan know. is faster. They don't have a standing army because, you know, Nagasaki. No, they, they don't have an army, but, but they are an advanced society. Economically, they are, yeah. They are somewhat, somewhat unfuckable, basically, because, because of, of what they have developed themselves to. And so there, there, there needs to come a point where I feel there needs to come a point where African countries, because African countries have no fucking seat at the table. Like you have no leverage whatsoever to lay claim to any type of grievance. All you have, all you can do is tug at the heartstrings of people. All we can do is send an eloquent Kenyan ambassador to the UN to go and talk about how, as Africans, we have no choice but to accept the you know um, legacy of colonization and our white former overlords to stop complaining. And you know, live with the lines that have been drawn until African countries develop themselves to the point where they have stakes in world affairs. There is no amount of songs, kumbaya, no amount of Black Panthers, like Black Panther movies that come out, no amount of, of, of lead of lead roles, no, no amount of lead roles that black people or African Americans have mm. in movies or in companies in the West, none of that would change anything. Because when they look at you, when they look at you, they see, you know, the begging um, child asking for a dollar a month to survive. Um, so African countries need to look in what, if you're asking me what, you know, the foreign policy considerations of, of these countries should do, because what, what leg do they have to stand on? Either morally 
or economically as in what leg does any african country have to tell russia don't kill people when in all these countries like there are instances of of you know governments murdering um dissent on tribal, on, especially on ethnic basis on yeah. ethnic grounds like yeah. imagine imagine nigerian government making any claim to moral superiority in any way like who who is going to listen? Do you understand? Like what what what's to stop? This is kind of what I was getting at in the last episode. If if a Ukrainian man tells you go back to your country now, say SARS will shoot you. If SARS will not shoot you, like Nepal will take that and you you may be able to achieve anything. But here, you know, just endure this small racism. Um, you know, I can go back to studying in your prestigious university, um, in Ukraine or Poland or wherever. Um, so yeah, I I, I think like you know, you can't you can't you can't blame yourself for somebody's racism, obviously. But you can you can develop yourself to the point where I think you have a seat on the table and where you can ex- extract some consequences, where you can extract where, where you're not begging people to treat you as a human being, because which is what we're doing now. We're begging, we're begging the world, we're appealing to people's humanity. Why people don't have to don't have to appeal? Like imagine if it was if it for Chinese people that they were turning around. It's not because you know. It's, I mean, obviously there are legacies that may, but like they know that consequences can come from yeah. these places. Um, There'd be an uproar, and I think to you, I think that's you know you very eloquently dealt with the hierarchy, and I think that's the real thing that we wanted to pull out of this conversation is here's the hierarchy, here are the realities, and actual problem solving here. And there was a point you asked, which is. What can Africa stand on? Like, what can it stand its leg on? What is it having over the world? And I think there is one thing, actually, or several things under one banner, and I'll call it resources. And I think this is where... No, no, I, mean, I, I meant making, like, a moral claim, but I understand what you're saying. And no, no, I, 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 yeah, well, I took it... I understood the moral claim point. I'm talking about maybe another point in your conversation where you were saying, essentially, you know, what does Africa have that makes it respectable, essentially? Like, you talked about Japan technologically advancing itself, Israel becoming an advanced nation. Where I mean, do we, do we want Africa to go down this path? Because the, if, if you see resources and you see something good, somebody could see resources and see something bad, see all the resources, and instead of seeing opportunities, see an example of failure, because you have so much resources and you're not able to do shit with them. No, I'm going to develop that point. And I think, obviously... Mm-hmm. The form, the latter is has been the experience largely, right? You know, there's been exploitation. It's been seen as a, you know, a farm essentially, a place where you can go collect, you know, build up your empires, still drip feed yourself cheap oil, cheap, you know, diamonds, chocolate, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what I was going to say was, you know, the embers. I think, and I think, if you look at what's happening in East Africa, for example, where they formed the Federation of Countries. And this idea of foreign policy where it's kind of develop ourselves first, mm. make ourselves useful, make ourselves, yeah. make our, develop ourselves as, as a country. Increase our leverage. Increase our leverage. And that's what I guess that's the point. That was what the point I was drawing at. That resource that we have is the leverage. It's about how, in a way, you almost have to like, not cut off the world from your source, from your resource, but you have to kind of like marshal it in a way, herd it into containers, be organized with your resources so that when countries come and they will come because they need cobalt, they need chocolate, they need cocoa, they need wheat, they need bauxite, they need uh, aluminum, they need whatever, aluminum, however you want to pronounce it. They need iron. They need all these things. 
how are you negotiating with them? And I say this because the presence of China, for example, in Africa should tell you that Africa is of strategic value. If, like Statesman X says, African countries are able to develop internally, and it's not, it takes time, you know, um, there is that, you know, the technological advancement is there. It needs to be embraced, not fought against. And I use Nigeria as an example. Like when you see companies like Paystack and all these kind of Gokada and all, all these kind of companies that have been enterprising, embrace technology. This is the way Africa is going to be able to catapult itself. Look at Japan, look at South Korea, what they did to themselves in the 70s, the 60s, 70s and the 80s. They embrace technology. They weaponize education. Africans are already some of the most educated people. This might come as, you know, a lot of podcasters, listeners who might not be as well versed in Africa will be like, well, Africans are educated? Well, especially in Niger Nigeria is one of the most educated countries up to a certain age anyway. Because yeah. education is free, actually, guys. Education is free. And a lot of Nigerians are educated. But the system isn't using those educated people, isn't turning that human capital into a flourishing society now what we're saying is that these countries look to develop themselves and then i think from a resource point of view look at the look at china in zambia china in nigeria even the resources are there they want to do business business is the way forward that is how africa gains a foothold it says these are my resources as a particular nation this is the terms that i've set within my borders this is what I'm selling to my neighbors. This is what we've agreed as a collective price. And that is, I think, the basis for Africa to sit at the table in the future because the world is running out of resources, right? I, I agree with you on the what to do, but yeah. not on the how. Because um, you seem to be describing a situation that involves you know, selling resources and trading. Um, I, I think a man that has you know, valuable resources that he doesn't know how to use will never, ever be able to get a good or a fair um, price from those resources. So, which is why I said develop within your borders first, your yeah. market, understand your resources. In Nigeria, we have a confluence between the River Niger and the River Benue, right? A confluence, sorry, geography, I'm a geography nerd. For this physical geography, it's a confluence of two rivers, two, two major rivers flowing into one creates essentially like a... A, a surge right a surge effect a waterfall effect if you want like think of a, think of two rivers coming together and then think of the power you generate using turbines that are you know the force of those two rivers generating electricity till date that has not been harnessed you shouldn't need to turn to um you know to to other like coal powered oil or whatever when you can use i'm just giving an example of a natural resource that you can use Countries need to learn in Africa. They need to create an internal market, you know, develop your renewables, for example, in that example, right? Develop your tech in terms of turbine making. You have educated individuals. Send them abroad to gain that technology and come back. Let's use, Nigeria has a scholarship system where it sends out students abroad. What, how many of those come back? How many of those are fed into the system? Yeah, I mean, develop. Oh, oh, everything you're saying is is valuable, but like it still comes down to the point that as of right now, African countries are not where you would like them to be, not where I would like them to be. So as of right now, we have little to no leverage. 
yeah. in international affairs. And like we've been saying throughout this episode, we are in, like, you know, welcome everyone to history. Like history is being made now. And only those who have a seat at the table will be able to either tell the stories that they want to tell or draw the maps in a way that benefit them or share the spoils from this new phase of history, you know, in a way that is fair to everyone. Mm. And, and, you know, African countries need to wake up, like you're saying. There are, there are all these things that need to be done to be able to, to increase our leverage, but also, like, our hands need to be clean. So part of what complicates, part of what is so complicated about the international affairs is that, like, you know, for the U.S. to be able to say anything to Russia and China, its hands needed to be, need to be clean or needed to be clean. And mm-hmm. the history of social development in the U.S., has followed closely with wars externally. So, like when the US was combating, you know, Nazis or authoritarianism in in the world, it had to clean up in-house. It had to pass the Civil Rights Act. It had to, you know, it had to ensure that, like, because people can always point to, which is something that Russia and China does, point to the treatment of black people in the US internally, point yeah. to the US mistakes in Afghanistan, Iraq. Iran. So everybody has to choose, like you know, um, their words carefully because no one, um, no one is coming to the table seemingly with clean hands. And you know, China has a key role to play in what happens in the world. So does India. So does Israel. So does um, the U.S. and European countries. Where does Africa come in? As of right now, as of right now, African states are kind of like client states. You yeah. don't have, you don't have anything to say. But whatever you say, you have to watch your mouth. Otherwise, nobody's, they're not going to spend money in your country, which is what like these African countries have to. So I mean, there's nothing you can say. You can't bugger anybody. You can't make any demands. You can't, you can't send any support, whether military or economic support. Nobody's coming as a refugee to your... No, no, nobody's leaving Ukraine to come to uh, to Abuja to come and say you want to be a refugee there. Do you understand? There are many places that will take them in before they get to um, Africa. So you have nothing really to contribute to this conversation other than to complain about the treatments i mean you, i think there is a role and I, I think we both agree here that there needs to be advancement i think we agree that there needs to be internal development the foreign policy should be geared towards in my opinion like and that's why someone like china come in and you use them like what can you get from them to develop quicker because mm. if they're going to come and strong arm you like you say in these resource negotiations Get what you can from them. Like, get them to build your infrastructure. Get them to do things that will supercharge you. Because I think what we're both saying here is that we need Africa needs time. Because at this this current Ukraine conflict now, not many African countries, like you say, have that clout. That's essentially what it is. To be able to say at the table, oh, don't do this. The way you've seen countries come out and speak, right? Um, but what they do need is time. But I think strategically... Like we said, the foreign policy needs to almost be derived off the internal development. Those Africans yeah. need to focus on themselves and how almost in this chaos, Littlefinger, one of my favorite characters and um, the greatest show of all time, mm. Game of Thrones, said chaos is a ladder, right? And in this chaos that of this world, and we're not just talking about the conflict in Ukraine, COVID has shaped everything upside down. Mm-hmm. Brexit. Um, we're talking about a massive recession, essentially going on right now. We're talking about commodities trading at 300%, 400% in a day. 
we're talking about a flipping of the world order. This is this is essentially a time that African countries. I think there's an opportunity here because there will be a reworking of the China versus US. Like I said, yeah, and everyone's going um, to have two sides, and you have to pick a side. And I think this is the time for African countries to look at who we don't know who that might be. We're not espousing here who should be, but these are the time for countries such as Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, Egypt, Ethiopia, Kenya, Rwanda, to either choose or to set yourself up so that you wouldn't be forced to choose. Exactly, and I think on that note. Um, that's probably a good point to leave it there. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. It's yeah, Dan Stark here. Keep and, listening, uh, keep sharing, you know. Um, and we'll be back, back for we'll be back. yeah, we'll be back. I think we'll be All back right. for you know another roundup, um, and the next episode just to see how things have progressed. Um, once again, our wishes, our best wishes to those who are um, currently suffering due to the invasion, who have lost any loved ones. Thoughts and prayers out to them, and we hope that there is a safe and peaceful um, resolution to this matter. Yeah, and if you're if you're a black man, you know, African Indian guy stranded um, somewhere, you know, frustrated because you're getting racist treatment, we feel bad for you. You know, spare a thought of hatred for the racist guy who is um, being racist to you wherever you are, but also spare some scorn for you know your government that is has abandoned you and on that bombshell um (laughs) that's how we see things and we'll see you on the next episode safe all right